So hello, uh, dear community. My name is Nicole, she, her. And I'd like to start by just expressly stating that um, <clears throat> I am an OI member and not a Dharma teacher, just so that's clear. Um, because all Dharma teachers are brown jacket wearers, but not all brown jacket wearers are Dharma teachers. It's one of those situations. <clears throat> hmm. So I'd like to start off by uh, sharing a little bit about my origin story in this, our lovely practice tradition before I venture into the topic that I plan on talking about today, which centers around Sangha building. Can y'all hear me in the back? Am I uh, talking loud enough? Okay, great. <clears throat> so I, um, <clears throat> I first started practicing in the Plum Village tradition when I was 22 years old. And I'm currently 44 years old. And um, actually this month, January, marks the 22-year uh, sort of anniversary of when I first started practicing in the Plum Village tradition. <clears throat> and when I was still very much a very, very new practitioner, I um, started a sangha at, when I was 23 years old, I started a sangha called Be Here Now in Missoula, Montana. <clears throat> and Be Here Now wonderfully and amazingly meets every Monday night, continues to meet every Monday night in Missoula. And so we just celebrated 21 years of Sanghahood this last fall. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> and, uh, you know, in a shorthand version, when I'm not here, I sit every week with my home Sangha Be Here Now when we're back home. And as a side note here, I just want to mention, so maybe you've noticed, so there's a Be Here Now sticker in the tea room up here in Solidity Hamlet. It's our Sangha sticker, it's our logo. We, we print uh, these stickers, vinyl stickers, um, <clears throat> with our Be Here Now logo. And there's one on the tea room door up here in Solidity Hamlet. So when you're like leaving the tea room on the hinge door on one of the panes of glass, it says, Be Here Now, Missoula, Montana. And I just want it known for the record that I did not put that sticker there. <laughs> it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> because I assume that others will assume once they realize I'm associated with this <laughs> sangha that I put it there and I did not put it there. I have a theory about who it was. I'm not gonna share it with you. Uh, <laughs> it's been up there for a long time, many years. It wasn't, it wasn't me. Okay, yeah, no, good call. <laughs> Sorry, I just, good call. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> uh, so I just wanna put that on the record that uh, it's not in my nature to go and tag the monastery with our Be Her Now sticker. Uh, it's not a thing I would do. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, it is a, a great honor to say that I um, uh, continue to serve and I have served as the program director for Be Here Now since we started. And for me that um, is a, a great honor to serve in that capacity for the Sangha. 
um, back home for Be Here Now. Um, so that's a joyful role that I really uh, appreciate. Um, so I, um, <clears throat> I was ordained into the Order of Interbeing, uh, you know, in short, OI, an OI member, became an OI member, um, ordained by Thai, our teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, in 2007 in Estes Park, Colorado at the YMCA of the Rockies. There was a large retreat there. And so I had just turned 28 years old. So I've been an OI member for, for over 16 years. And um, my lovely husband, Mike, and I have been coming here to Deer Park every year for what is now 10 years. This is our 10th year in a row coming. Um, and we've been coming for various lengths of time over those years uh, for the first few years, we kind of averaged like coming for three weeks and um, we've done a variety of different kind of stay lengths and um, also the first few years that we came together, I opted to stay in Clarity Hamlet. So I've spent um, uh, a portion of time down in Clarity Hamlet staying with the sisters and now for the last number of years, Mike and I have been staying together up here in Solidity Hamlet together. And um, we feel very fortunate to, to call this place uh, uh, a home, uh, a place that feels like home and a spiritual home ground. And we feel very lucky to be able to come here um, every year. And now this is our fourth time coming in a row that we've come for like longer stints of time. So between four and six months. Um, but every year's a new year. And we uh, just kind of go with the flow and see what happens each year as far as our stay here goes. And additionally, um, Mike and I have recently started what I often call a small, sprouting, rustic mindfulness uh, practice center in Western Montana called Empty Mountain. And um, <clears throat> we uh, bought some land and uh, we live quite remotely. We live off grid and without running water. Um, and we are very slowly starting to, to build infrastructure and get our feet underneath of us. And um, we have started hosting Days of Mindfulness, and we had our first camping retreat weekend this last August. Um, and we hope to continue more of that this year when we get back home, leading more events and retreats at Empty Mountain um, for those who are you know, willing to and able to tent camp and live pretty simply and rustically in the woods. Um, and you might have seen we have a flyer down in the dining hall in the Solidity Hamlet dining hall by the food serving tables, um, a little flyer for, for our center called Empty Mountain. So emptymountain.org is our website. And uh, we're hoping to slow grow our way into having, you know, um, residential living opportunities there. And, you know, right now we welcome folks to come and visit for the day or camp out and, um, you know, stay uh, over the summer for periods of time. And um, so we're just, we're starting where we are, which is very simply and seeing where it goes. So it's an unfolding journey for sure. It's very new. We made a big life change from living in our house in a town with services um, to living remotely in the woods without running water and <clears throat> uh, all that kind of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> So we invite you to check out our website. We have an active blog. We have an active YouTube channel. Also, we upload content very often. So 
that's a thing happening. So a few weeks ago <clears throat> here in Solidity Hamlet, we uh, watched a, a Dharma talk video with the lay friends, uh, a Dharma talk video by Sister D, a talk that she gave a couple of years ago during a holiday retreat, which we were, we, we were here for. And in that talk, she shared about this game that she plays with her niece called Would You Rather? You know, so like, would you rather own a goat or a unicorn? Okay. So in case you're wondering, I would rather own a goat. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because I think a unicorn would be kind of high maintenance. Uh, and also that it would attract a lot of unicorn tourists. <laughs> and I don't really want any part of that. So just in case you're wondering, I'd rather own a goat. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, if someone were to ask me, <clears throat> would you rather go to Deer Park every year for X amount of time or sit with your home song and be here now every Monday night, without hesitation, I would choose to sit with my home sangha, be here now every week. Now, fortunately, I don't have to choose, right? I can do both. Um, but if I did have to choose, because that's a game, you have to choose a thing, um, I would choose to sit with my home sangha, be here now. That is how essential, like how foundationally necessary I personally find that regular ongoing Sangha practice is to the quality and the strength of my practice energy. Yeah. I attribute the consistency by which I show up to Sangha every week to be one of the largest factors that I have that supports the stability that I feel like I have and the joyfulness that I feel like I have in my practice. So for me, like showing up to Sangha every week, that's a non-negotiable situation. Nothing gets in the way of that for me. And I think that really uh, supports that strong foundation for me in my practice. I think it can be easy to um, think that Sangha practice only lives at the monastery sometimes. Like we have to come here, we have to travel here, we have to be here to engage with Sangha and be part of it and experience it. Um, and of course, like if this is a place that feels uh, su supportive and nourishing and we have the luxury of coming here and it is a luxury, I see it as that, as that. if we have the luxury of um, financial ability, of time, um, of physical health, mental health, physical mobility to be here. Like, absolutely, keep coming here. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there are so many lay sanghas that exist and are practicing and are active and alive um, in so many different areas around the world lay sanghas that are leading events and retreats and doing all sorts of cool things out there. Mm. I think sometimes we can also have on board for us like this hierarchy 
when it comes to like monastery sangha practice versus lay practice and get caught in this inferiority superiority complex and we put like monastery sangha practice like up here which makes lay sangha practice kind of like down here like it's not as important like the better way to practice is to come here like that's a superior form of practice and I think that is an unfortunate misstep uh, to make because if we do that, if we have that hierarchy and we're like, well, Laysong is nice and all, but you know, it's not as nice as coming here. Um, I think if we make that misstep, it can serve as like an obstacle uh, potentially for us in joining a Sangha and continuing with a Sangha um, or maybe even starting a Sangha in our area. And um, wonderfully, there are just so many in-person and online sanghas. I think it's so wonderful that we have so many online sanghas meeting also um, that we can be part of in our daily life. Mm. So I would like to um, offer three um, uh, encouragements for joining a sangha or continuing with a sangha if we already have a sangha that you know when we leave here we return home to and also I'd like to offer three encouragements for starting a sangha and so I'll start with the, the joining continuing <clears throat> so the first uh, encouragement for joining or continuing with a sangha so a lay sangha just to be clear the first one is don't underestimate the importance of Sangha. Yeah. Hmm. I think when, uh, when we leave here, whether we've been here a few days, a week, two weeks, three months, um, it can be easy to get swept up in carried away by, steered by a really strong collective messaging that we have in our culture um, that centers around individuality. And personally, in my view, there's some good things about individuality and there's some benefits in there and some, um, some things that I really appreciate. And I think there are some detrimental aspects of um, this strong messaging around individuality, which I think our culture not only promotes but glorifies. So I think on this detrimental side of individuality, we might be tempted to leave here and think like, I've got this. I could totally have it. I have this energy. I feel strong in my practice. I was here. I did a thing. I feel amazing. Um, and when I leave here, I don't need a lay sangha. Like, it's not that important. I can do it on my own. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why Sangha is an emphasized element in our practice tradition. There's a reason why our beloved teacher Thay Thich Nhat Hanh uh, teaches that Sangha is a deep spiritual practice. Yeah. Hmm. Has said that without being in a Sangha, we cannot go far. Without a Sangha, we become very weak. 
And he does not say these things flippantly. Yeah? These are deep, rich teachings in our practice tradition. So I'd like to encourage us to uh, try our best not to lone wolf it when we leave here. Yeah. The second encouragement is don't go looking for a perfect sangha. It doesn't exist. And by perfect sangha, I mean a sangha that will meet all of our likes and our preferences and our hopes and dreams and even our needs for practice. I remember uh, my first, um, actually my first few retreats really were like this, but I'm just going to share about my first big retreat with Thai, which is actually when I ordained into the order in 2007. That was my first big retreat experience with Thai. And I went to that retreat, and um, in addition to having a lot of lovely experiences and like deeply rich, nourishing experiences, I also had a horrible time. Because I was just internally being like, I don't like that, what is that guy doing? What's happening over here? No to that. <laughs> just, just no. I don't know what's happening there. <laughs> uh, and um, in, uh, that happened for the, my first few retreats. Now, fortunately, something kept me going. So attending and showing up to retreats. <laughs> And you know, at that point, Be Here Now was, was going regularly, and that was a very regular practice for me. Um, but I think it, it was easy for me to like, show up and just be really critical, just be overly critical, um, and like, have this thought that like, this should meet all of, my, yeah, all of my likes and preferences and needs and wants. Um, <clears throat> our format at um, Be Here Now, we keep our format pretty um, kind of s simple. Maybe that's not the right word, simple. But we, we do what I often call is uh, we unbudditize it our format at Be Here Now. So what I mean by that is we don't bow to the altar, we don't do chanting, we don't do sutra reading. Um, you know, we read the mind, five mindfulness trainings once a month, then we do sitting, walking, dharma sharing, you know, we um, do other practices. But we take out some of those more Buddhist-y elements so that, um, you know, a certain demographic of people, um, it might be more approachable um, and palatable for certain folks who really aren't interested in that aspect of things or who would actively even be repelled maybe by some of those things um, based on their patterning with their own, you know, maybe home origin of religion. And in my personal practice, I really enjoy uh, doing the chants. I do them at home on my own. I um, 
I have an altar that I bow to. I really enjoy that practice. I do the earth touchings every day. There's a lot of different things that I do in my practice that those needs aren't met at Be Here Now. And I don't need them to be. Because while Sangha is like a really big element of my practice, it's not the only thing. So I think that's part of this too, is don't go looking for a perfect Sangha, you know, one that's gonna meet everything you're looking for um, in your practice. Um, and that we can, you know, do things on our own also and, and um, not need that Sangha to meet all of those needs. Mm. So the third encouragement for joining or continuing with the Sangha is to keep showing up. To keep showing up. And I'm, there's a few different components in this one for me. One involves um, like going to a Sangha and then if we find that we don't go to Sangha for weeks, months, years, to not stand in our own way of going back to the Sangha and re-engaging with that Sangha. Um, so to keep showing up and keep going back even if you miss large swaths of time. And I say this specifically because over the <clears throat> many years of Be Here Now, I've, had, I've encountered so many people that will sit sit with us and come every week for a certain amount of time and then, then we don't see them for a long period of time. It could be months. It could be years. And people will come back and they'll, they'll say to me, I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I can see in their face. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry I haven't been here. And, and they want to like, um, let me know why they haven't been there. And I really try to hold space for that, um, them sharing. And I also don't want to like, I also try to cut them off a little bit too because like it doesn't matter. Right, like we're so happy to have them come back, regardless of how much time they spend away. Like, there's no, uh, you know, there's no friction there for us. Like that person feels bad, but um, you know, I really try my best to like, you know, let them know like, oh, it's no problem. You know, like we're so, no, it doesn't matter. You know, like how long you've not been coming, or you know, how long you were away. Um, we're so happy you're here. Um, you know, so it's, it's, there's, um, you know, from my own personal experience, there's no sense of dislike. Well, where have you been? We've been waiting for you. Like, we know how long you've been gone. You know, like, there's none of that. And so I encourage us to not stand in our own way if we miss time and we go back, you know, to, to keep going back, keep showing up. <clears throat> Another aspect of this for me is... Um, you know, centers around like, show up to Sangha even when you don't want to go. And I think this is actually a really uh, important point here and there's a lot, I think there's a lot I could unpack here. I'm not gonna go into it too much, but to keep, go to Sangha even if you don't want to. Cause I think if we're waiting for us to always feel like I wanna be at Sangha, like every time, that might, not happen consistently. Um, over, you know, the years of <clears throat> Be Here Now, um, you know, so essentially, you know, like the reasons I wouldn't be at Sangha on Mondays would be either I'm here, <laughs> 
um, <clears throat> you know, out of the state, which is usually means I'm here. Um, if I'm really sick or if I'm recovering from a surgery in an acute period of time, which I've had a few surgeries over the years. So those are the three times I wouldn't be at Sangha. So that means most, a large majority of my Mondays for the last 21 years I've been at Sangha. And I say that as just a backdrop to say many, many, many times I've gone to Sangha and not wanted to go to Sangha. Like I wanted to stay in bed and eat chips and watch Netflix and like go to a concert or do another thing or just like I didn't feel good in my headspace. I didn't want to be around people. Um, and I went anyway. And um, I can honestly say that um, never have I experienced a time of going to Sangha when I didn't want to go to Sangha. And then at the end of the evening being like, well, that was a mistake. Clearly, like, I shouldn't have gone to that. Like, that was terrible. <laughs> I've never felt that way. I've always left, like, truly always. And I, I'm careful about using that word always. Um, I'm very intentional when I use that, or I do my best to. Um, I've always felt nourished and a little bit better when I go to Sangha. And that has nothing to do with me. That has, it has something to do with me, but it mostly has to do with the power of the community and the power of the Sangha. Yeah. <clears throat> Another aspect of this, I think, is um, I just kind of like to highlight, keep showing up in respects to like, keep showing up even if there are gonna be people there that you don't gel with and maybe actively don't like. Because the chances are really good that that will happen at some point. If you stick with your sangha long enough, yeah, um, maybe it'll happen on the first day, I don't know, you know, like, but if you stick with your sangha long enough, um, I would almost guarantee that that will happen. Like, um, there'll be people you don't gel with and characters and personalities that, you know, rub you the wrong way. Um, that's absolutely been the case for me. <clears throat> and so again, this is kind of like if we're waiting to find a sangha where like everyone can be like our BFFs and like people we can like take day trips with and stuff, <laughs> you, you might stop going to sangha eventually because like again, like that's not, uh, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So to keep showing up even when there are um, others in the room that uh, you don't gel with. And I think also this is a really rich opportunity to bring our practice into. And that's part of Sangha building, um, is working with these sorts of elements, yeah, and aspects of things. Um, because undoubtedly, you know, even though we have this shared thing, we're all there for the Sangha shared thing, we still also have a lot of differences, a lot of different ways we communicate and show up and different interests and likes and strengths and all the things. Um, so to use kind of uh, our practice to really enter into those um, uh, avenues too, I think is important. And then the final piece of this one, of keep showing up, is that when we show up to Sangha, our physical presence is genuinely a gift to the Sangha, right? Our physical presence, being there in the room, um, is, is a genuine gift to the Sangha. 
and ultimately showing up to Sangha is about showing up for ourselves. is about showing up for our own love and affection and appreciation for the practice for our teacher for our te for the teachings for our many teachers um, and it's an act of kindness and care for ourself to show up yeah so it's not for uh, other people, at least not entirely, you know, we're there to be with other people. But I think it's um, good to remember that we show up. When we show up, we show up for ourselves. That's the first, I think, first and foremost, um, aspect of showing up, is that we're showing up for ourselves in our in our practice. Maybe before I go on, we'll have a sound of the bell. I'd like to share three encouragements for starting a Sangha. Um, I realize, of course, that not all of us will, you know, necessarily gravitate in that direction of things, but it's something I really enjoy um, sharing about from my own experience um, <clears throat> for those of us who do have, you know, an interest or maybe have thought about it. And I especially like, I guess, to share my story, you know, just because, um, you know, when I started Be Here Now, I can't emphasize enough how little I knew what I was doing. <laughs> uh, Mike and I had sat with a sangha on the East Coast before moving back to Missoula, and so we, we had some idea of what a format would look like, use that format to start Be Here Now. Um, and, you know, my, my main interest, my motivating factor was, like, I want people to sit with. I didn't have the ability and the, like, um, yeah, capacity to just sit on my own yet, like, to have my own daily sitting meditation practice. I was like, I just want people to sit with. And that, that I started a group. Um, and so the first encouragement for starting a sangha is to um, start small, keep it simple, and be consistent. And I know these are kind of three things, but I feel like they kind of help each other out and lean on each other, and go together. So like keep our idea about what we're doing kind of small, keep our format simple, and to be consistent with whatever our sort of meeting schedule is, whether that's once a month, twice a month, every week, um, to be consistent with that. When I uh, started Be Here Now, we, um, our, our meeting space was a public library because the uh, public library had like free 
to use meeting rooms, like private meeting rooms that people in the community could schedule and use for free. And so that's where we started meeting. And I just I put up some posters, some flyers rather, you know, um, um, that said, bring your own cushion, chairs provided, because the library had chairs. So people just brought, and myself included, just brought like cushions from home, you know, uh, you know, small pillows, couch pillows, whatever to sit on if they wanted, um, you know, a cushion to sit on. Um, I did buy a bell. That was the one thing I kind of invested in, a small bell. Uh, but nowadays, too, there's a lot of really great bell apps, that, you know, that can be used. Um, and so I think, you know, it's just, I think I, you know, just want to emphasize that we don't need although it's lovely to have like a lovely Dharma space and a hall with like official mats and cushions and like a big, beautiful bell. Um, those things aren't necessary, you know, to start a Sangha. And I, uh, I reckon that probably in, in your area where you live, there's, there's probably a place that exists that would allow you to make use of their space for free or donation. You know, churches and synagogues are lovely, very generous in this regard or, community practice centers or uh, university campuses, you know. So um, there's also sanghas that meet in people's homes and their living room. You know, there's just, I think there's a lot of options. So I like to encourage the creative, creative thinking when it comes to starting a sangha and, uh, you know, knowing that we don't have to have anything fancy uh, in place to do that. And also, you know, to keep our format just really simple, just like we don't have to do anything fancy either in our formatting. Um, and maybe if we want to move into some other aspects like chants and sutras, if that speaks to us, you know, um, but maybe like develop the strong foundation and the, and the basics first and kind of move into that. But just kind of thinking creative, creatively to start to keep it small, start small, keep it simple. Hmm. The second um, encouragement is to lead with heart. And what I mean by this is to um, start a sangha, to lead sangha from a place of, you know, that genuine warm-heartedness and care and love for the practice and our practice and wanting to be a practitioner on the path of practice. Um, wanting to have, you know, that genuine interest of wanting to have other people to share the path with. I think if we start a sangha with the energy of wanting to teach people, of wanting to like show people the way, um, or like if we have something to prove or we want to be seen in a certain way, I think those energies um, can be a detriment to the Sangha as it's starting. And, and people are likely to not be drawn in by that and maybe even actively repelled by, by those energies. And so I think it's important for us to like really lean into that, uh, that heartful energy um, that we have for the practice and lead from there, start the Sangha from there, yeah. Um, to lead with heart. And the um, third encouragement 
for starting a sangha that I have to share is um, to put people in choice and give them space. So some, uh, some things that come up for me around this um, are that, so for instance, at, uh, at Be Here Now on uh, Monday nights when we meet, um, our facilitators um, every week mention during their like welcome and intro that um, if at any time folks need to get up and get a different cushion or a different chair or some, you know, if their cushion isn't comfortable for them, we encourage people to get up and get a different seating apparatus. We have a lot of new people that come to be here now. Most every week we have at least one or two new people. So we have a lot of flux um, at Be Here Now. And we also attract a lot of folks in, the, in, in their 20s and 30s. We have the University of Montana there. Um, and we have people in all age ranges. But I think our strongest demographic is people in their 20s and 30s. Um, and so anyway, we, we like to let people know that they have that option. Um, of coming and when they're coming and they're sitting like to get a different cushion if they need to or get a chair. Um, we also <coughs> uh, let people know you know how long we're going to be sitting in meditation for, what time we're going to end the evening and so letting them know that there's just what's going on, keeping them informed and then um, you know when we go over really basic guidance for sitting meditation, we always make sure to mention that folks can leave their eyes open if they would like to. Um, and, um, you know, sort of on this note of things, just as a side, kind of a sideline, but I do want to encourage also that if, if anyone is interested in starting a Sangha, I would highly recommend reading David Trelevin's book, Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness. Um, I think this is a really important read and, um, for, for Sangha builders. And this eyes opening is kind of part of that, um, knowing that uh, there'll be trauma in the room. And we have a lot of new people and a lot of new energy all the time. And so to keep an awareness about that and to put people in choice about um, you know, uh, their body and their situation. <clears throat> An additional part is, um, so when we, after we do our sitting meditation, we do an indoor walk. And each week, um, you know, every time we have Sangha, we let people know the walking is optional. You can keep sitting if you want to. And this one is particularly important for me because I'm someone who lives with chronic pain in my feet and legs. I have a nerve condition um, that I developed in my late 20s. And um, I've spent a long time uh, having a lot of mobility issues and challenges. And walk, I walked with a cane for a number of years. Um, <clears throat> and no one ever told me that walking meditation was optional. I never heard that from anyone. I never saw anyone not do it. So I did it on retreats in so, so much pain. So I would do it anyway, because I was like, that's what you're supposed to do. I need to do the walking meditation. Um, and I just suffered so much from that, um, not being given the permission to sit, you know, to not do the walk. Uh, so for me, that's really important um, because just looking at someone, we can't tell what their um, health status is. 
You know, that's a really big mistake to look at someone and be like, oh, they're healthy, they can do a thing. You know, because I was that person when I didn't have the cane and I still had, you know, physical pain issues, which I am now too. I still have physical pain issues. You know, people look at me and think, oh, healthy, they can do all the things. And that's not true. You know, so to put people in choice when it comes to anything movement-based, um, you know, uh, and things like that, you know, like when I've helped to lead retreats back home, you know, like when we do the earth touchings, that's really important for me to give other people, like people, other options. It's like bending down on the ground, that's hard for people sometimes. You know, standing still in place, that's like the worst thing I can do for my body is to stand, in st stand still for a long time. You know, so like putting people in choice about how they can maybe approach other, you know, other things, other ways, I think is really important. Mm. So the, the aspect of this of give people space, an example is uh, a few years ago, this was quite a while ago now, this was when we first started getting other facilitators on board at Be Here Now. So I <coughs> served as the sole facilitator for the first eight years of Be Here Now until uh, we got to the point where we had more people kind of sitting regularly and that I could train um, in a facilitator capacity. Um, and then, you know, eight years in, we got a, you know, formed a council and, you know, um, and started kind of growing and um, <clears throat> that sort of thing. And I think early on in that process, one of our new facilitators had a suggestion of um, he wanted to meet everyone at the door and like do a welcome situation as people came in. Now, I, th I think potentially there could be a way that that would work. But for me, as someone who, um, I mean, I self-identify as an ambivert, so someone who has both extroverted and introverted qualities, but I lean much more in the direction of introversion. So for me, when I think of like coming to a new place in a room full of strangers and meet, having someone meet me at the door, I'm like, mm -mm, no, I would not like that. <laughs> that would be off-putting for me. Yeah, like that would be too much. Um, so for me, like giving people space is like, um, you know, like reading the room and knowing that different personalities are coming into the room and to try to meet people where they're at the, the best that we can. Um, and to give the people space if that's what we're feeling like maybe they would like to have. Um, over the course of Be Here Now, we've had many people who like come in quietly, they sit, they stay for the whole program, and then they just quietly exit. And there's no, they don't want to socialize, they don't want to meet people, and that's fine. I want that to be fine for people that come to Be Here Now. I want there to be space for those people. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it's a little bit of a, not a little bit, it's a pet peeve of mine <laughs> when uh, extroverted people try to make other people like them or like think like there's something wrong with us. If for those of us who are more quiet and don't like to talk a lot, they're like, well, clearly there's something wrong with you. You need to be more like me because <laughs> I'm extroverted and I really want to do a thing. And, you know, so like, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, for Sangha building, for, you know, supporting all the people that come to Sangha, it's important to, to do our best, you know, to just kind of read people the best that we can and, and give the people space, you know, if, again, if we sense that maybe that's what they would like to have and, and know that there's nothing wrong with that. 
there's nothing wrong. They're not broken. You know, <laughs> those of us who are quiet, it's not like we're shy or like, oh, I'm tentative or, you know, it's not necessarily the case anyway. Um, we just might operate a little differently. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, to wrap up here, I think, um, you know, as we're preparing to depart Deer Park, whether, again, whether we've been here a few days, a few weeks, a few months, um, our practice will change. Yeah. Uh, it needs to. Yeah, it needs to. Our practice needs to have um, some adjustment and adaptation to our surroundings and our circumstances. Um, sometimes it can be, um, you know, we can want to just like hold on to what's happening here and just like transplant ourselves outside of the monastery and just like hold on tight to what's happening right now. And um, I just want to encourage us to um, be kind and caring with ourselves to give ourselves space and time and grace to feel our way into how our practice will be when we return home or on our travels in route wherever we're going or if we live on the road. Um, to allow that process of unfolding. And for me, again, the, you know, the, the very best thing that I have found to help keep my practice alive and strong um, is to show up and to go to Sangha regularly and ongoingly. Like that's, that's really, I mean, I just, for myself in my own experience, like I can't emphasize that enough. Um, I do a lot of different things in my, in my daily practice. I have a daily sitting practice. I listen to Dharma talks. I do chants. I do a lot of different things, but I feel like if I just stopped going to Sangha, the energy of my practice would fade probably very quickly and a lot more quickly than I think even. Like I think it would destabilize my practice to a very large degree. Yeah. So I'd like to encourage us to find or join or start a Sangha, um, either in person or online. And on that note, I just want to mention that I have put a few resources on the whiteboard in the back. If you have a picture-taking device or a notebook or anything that you want to jot those down, um, such as where to find resources for online Sanghas in our practice tradition in person, Sanghas, there's also a wonderful um, uh, How to Start a Sangha Handbook on the Thich Nhat Hanh Foundation website. That could be a good resource also. And also my personal email is up there. So if you have any questions or if I can be of any support um, in this endeavor of things, uh, please let me know. I'm happy to, to uh, correspond and I'd be happy to hear from anyone if you have questions or uh, if support would be helpful. <clears throat> so I'd like to uh, finish with the song. <clears throat> I'm gonna take this off. 
see how this goes. Some of you have already heard me uh, make this uh, declaration, but um, public speaking is, um, I was very nervous doing the talk, but I'm pretty used to public speaking because uh, of uh, uh, Sangha building um, back home. But public singing is a different situation uh, for me <laughs> and uh, is not something I do a whole lot. Um, we do, um, one of the things that Be Here Now does, um, and we're starting to get back into after the sort of COVID closure days, um, is we uh, host open mic nights once a month through the winter months, which are cold and dark in Montana. And so we uh, meet for open mics. Um, and that's been such a, a cool practice for me to like share in those like circles, like the open mics that we have as part of our sangha. Um, and they're open to the community too, but it's mostly, you know, just advertised in-house and people bring their kids and it's just so much fun. And um, so I've uh, gotten a lot of good practice and sharing at our open mics back home. Um, but it's still, yeah, uh, still a thing that's not uh, a thing I do a whole lot. Yeah. Okay, let's see. So this is... Um, a song that I wrote a few months ago. Maybe it's called Follow Your Heart. Find your people. Invest in your friends. Because while luck well, it factors in A good life isn't made by chance And know your values And think, speak, and act from them Try your best 
care too much about what others think Comparison is a thief of joy Comparison is a thief of joy Theodore Roosevelt said that Follow your heart 